All right, let's talk about Jane Austen's novel, Pride and Prejudice. And I want to spend some time looking at this opening chapter because I think it sets up a lot of things that happen throughout the novel, starting with this very famous opening sentence. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. Now, uh, several things to think about about what that sentence is doing. First of all, there it, it, it changes as you're reading it. Think of it this way. You, you, that opening clause, it is a truth universally acknowledged. And that sets up a certain set of expectations, all right? We're talking about something universal truth, something that everyone acknowledges. This is kind of the, the platonic ideal of truth here. And what is that truth? It is that a single man in possession of good fortune suddenly we're not in the realm of sweeping universal truth. This is something very particular, right? So, so basically what it's saying is it's universally true that a rich man wants to get married. Uh, well, we've moved from the realm of universal truth to something very particular and social and uh, n not at all kind of grand or philosophical. Uh, also, there's a wonderful irony there because as the next, uh, the next sentence goes on, it tells you, However little that the feeling or views of such a man may be on his first entering the a neighborhood, this truth is so well fixed in the minds of the surrounding families that he is considered as the rightful property of some one or other of their daughters. So it's actually not the young man who wants to get married. It's the people, it's the, the, the mothers and fathers of who have eligible daughters who want him to get married. Um, and this this novel is very much about uh, the kind of, of process that happens in those opening sentences. First of all, our first impressions often turn out to be wrong, just as our first impressions of that sentence turn out to be wrong. Also, this is a book that is full of very sharply observed social satire. It, it, Jane Austen is poking fun at the the system of... of uh, marriage that happens in her society. Now, she's very romantic, as we'll see, but she's also very aware of the uh, the economic and mercenary parts of, of this system. So we get that introduction, and then we get a dialogue between Mr. and Mrs. Bennet. And uh, we get a lot of, of simple plot information. You know, have you heard that Netherfield Park is let at last? Mr. Bennet replied that he had not. But it is, returned she, for Mrs. Long has uh, been here, and she told me all about it. Mr. Bennet made no answer. Do you not want to know who has taken it? cried his wife impatiently. You want to tell me, and I have no objection to hearing it. This was invitation enough. Now, already we see that there is a conflict going on here, right? That Mr. and Mrs. Bennet are two very different kinds of people. Uh, Mr. Bennet doesn't talk unless he has to. Mrs. Bennet seems to love to gossip. Uh, Mrs. Bennet is very excited about all of this. Mr. Bennet is really kind of ironically detached from it all. Um, and she tells him that it the, that Netherfield, which is the, the estate that is near them, is taken by a young man of large fortune from the north, uh, north of England. Um, and that he is uh, he is to take possession before Michaelmas, 
and some of his uh, servants are to be in the house by the end of the next week. What is his name? Bingley. Is he married or single? Oh, single, my dear, to be sure. A single man of large fortune. Four or five thousand a year. What a fine thing for our girls. How so? How can it affect them? Now, Mr. Bennett and, and Mrs. Bennett are on the same wavelength. Mrs. Bennett be, uh, believes in that opening sentence that uh, if there's a rich man around, he's got to want to get married and hopefully to one of my daughters. Mr. Bennett is, is saying, wait, how does that have to do with anything? What do my daughters have to do with it? Um, and he says, and says oh, my dear Mr. Bennett, replies his wife, how can you be so tiresome? You must know that I am thinking of, the, of his marrying one of them. Um, is that his design in settling here? Design? Nonsense! How can you talk so? But it is very likely that he may fall in love with one of them, and therefore you must visit him as soon as he comes. I see no occasion for that. You and the girls may go, or you may send them by themselves, which perhaps will be still better, But as, uh, uh, for as you are as handsome as any of them, Mr. Bingley might, like you, the best of the party." Now, again, the whole tone and style of Mr. and Mrs. Bennett is so different here. She is so animated, so uh, intense about this, and he's always kind of making these ironic, sarcastic comments. So you better uh, you better send the daughters alone. I mean, you're, you're quite a catch, and Mr. Bingley might want to marry you. Um, and But you also set up the conflict here. Mrs. Bennett wants him to go pay a visit, to Mr. Bingley, and the reason she wants that is that that's the proper social form. The the man of the house has to visit the uh, the the man of the house, and after that, the rest of the family are permitted to see him. Uh, so Mrs. Bingley wants him to do that as quickly as possible, so the girls have the best possibility of of getting to to meet him and uh, mingle with him. Um, and Mrs. Bingley said, Indeed, you must go, for it is, will be impossible for us to visit him if you do not. You are overly scrupulous, surely, I dare say. Mr. Bingley will not be, uh, will be very glad to see you, and I will send a few lines by you, by you to assure him of my hearty consent of his marrying whichever of my, uh, whichever he chooses of the girls, though I must throw in a good word for my little Lizzie. Uh, now again, he is. Uh, she's trying to convince him to do this. He's saying, "Oh no, no, no! I'm not going to do all that. I'll just send a note saying you can marry any of my daughters you want." But we also we get we begin to introduce the characters, and we find out that Lizzie Elizabeth is Mister Bingley's, uh, uh, Mister uh, Bennett's favorite, and uh, uh, Mrs. Bennett says. I desire you will do no such thing. Lizzie is not a bit better than the others, and I am uh, sure she is not half so handsome as Jane, nor half so good-humored as Lydia. But you are always giving her the preference. So now we're introducing, they have other daughters, Jane, who is distinguished by her beauty, and Lydia, distinguished by her good humor. Um... He says, they have none, uh, Mr. Bennett continues, they have none of them much to recommend them, he re replied he. They are all silly and ignorant like other girls, but Lizzie has something more of quickness than her sisters. Mr. Bennett, how can you abuse your children in such a way? You take delight in vexing me. You have no compassion for my poor nerves. 
You mistake me, my dear. I have a high respect for your nerves. They are my old friends. I have heard you mention them with consideration these twenty years at least. Now, again, uh, Mr. Bennett is, he's teasing. But Mrs. Bennett seems to be taking it deadly seriously. Right? She, she doesn't really get him. He seems to get her, but doesn't agree with her, her, you know, her values. Um, and so he goes back, and he's insisting that he's not going to go. And the last paragraph of the first chapter gives us a summary of these characters. Mr. Bennett was so odd a mixture of quick parts, sarcastic humor, reserve, and caprice that the experience of three and twenty years had been insufficient to make his wife understand his character. So uh, she's telling us explicitly, Mrs. Bennett doesn't get Mr. Bennett. She doesn't understand him. And what he is, quick parts, that is, he has a quick mind, uh, sarcastic humor, we, we've got that, he's very, he's a smart ass, reserve, he doesn't wear his emotions on his sleeve, and caprice, that is, you never know what he's going to do next. Said Her mind was left difficult to develop. She was a woman of mean understanding, that means small, not, not uh, nasty, mean understanding, little information, and uncertain temper. When she was discontented, she fancied herself nervous. The business of her life was to get her daughters married. Its solace was visiting and news. So she's completely wrapped up in her daughters, getting them married. Uh, she's a very simple, straightforward person. Now, this has set up a kind of a conflict between Mr. and Mrs. Bennett, what she wants and, and his resistance to it. But all of that and all of our understanding of what happens in chapter one changes completely the minute we read the first sentence of chapter two. Mr. Bennett was among the earliest of those who waited on Mr. Bingley. He had always intended to visit him, though to the last always assuring his wife that he should not go. And till the, the evening after the visit was paid, she had no knowledge of it. Okay, now we see that Mr. Bennett has been teasing her. He knows, knew from the beginning he planned to do this, so he is interested in his daughters. Um, you know, that would really be the only reason he would go see Bingley. He doesn't have a social interest in him himself. Um, but importantly, the very opening of this novel has shown us that we can misread the situation. Uh, if you read just that first chapter... You think that there, Mr. Bennett just doesn't get it, that he is, is against this and his wife's trying to convince him. Actually, it turns out, no. It, that was just an act. Uh, in fact, the, uh, uh, Jane Austen called this novel originally, her working title for it was First Impressions. And it's very much a book about first impressions uh, and how they can sometimes turn out to be very, very wrong. Um, and in fact, uh, uh, as in the second chapter where Mr. Bennett is kind of teasing the family along, uh, you know, waiting for the big reveal that he's, he has paid a visit to Mr. Bingley, um, he says that uh, one cannot know what a man really is by the end of a fortnight, that is in two weeks' acquaintance. Uh, and that's a very significant line. I think it resonates through the novel. It takes time to really get to know somebody and who they are and what they're like. 
Um, so he surprises his daughters with the news, uh, and he, Mr. Bingley is going to come and visit them, uh, but they don't quite get to see him. Um, uh, he was going to come for dinner, but he can't because he has to go back to London. Um, and all of this is set up. There's going to be a public ball where they're all going to, all the people in the neighborhood are going to meet the, their new neighbor, Mr. Bingley. And Mr. Bingley comes in, this is in chapter three, Mr. Bingley came in with his two sisters, the husband of the eldest, and another young man. So there's Mr. Bingley, has two sisters, an older sister who's married and a younger sister who's unmarried, and his friend. His friend is Mr. Darcy. And look at the description of him. Uh, Mr. Darcy soon drew the attention of the room by his fine, tall person, handsome features, noble mien, and the report, which was in uh, general circulation within five minutes of his, uh, after his entrance, of his having 10000 a year. So he is he's literally twice as rich as Mr. Bingley. This is unbelievably wealthy. Uh, this, is, this is kind of like, like a billionaire wealthy would be today. Uh, the gentleman pronounced him to be uh, the gentleman pronounced him to be a fine figure of a man the ladies declared he was as, he was much handsomer than mr bingley and he was looked at with great admiration for about half the evening till his manners gave a disgust which turned the tide of his popularity for he was discovered to be proud to be above his company and ab- above being pleased and not at all and not all his large estate in Debershire uh, could then save him from having a most forbidding disagreeable countenance and being unworthy to be the companion to be compared with his friend now here we've got the same thing that we've seen before right first impressions change every when they hear him and they hear he's rich oh he's such a catch he's he's so handsome and so wonderful then his manners are so uh, aloof. He refuses to dance. He won't talk to anyone. He's standing, you know, he's standing in the corner. He insults, you know, worst of all, he inserts, insults Elizabeth Bennet and refuses to dance with her. Um, you know, he says she's tolerable, but not handsome enough to uh, tempt me. Um and we get, uh, um, uh, we find out that uh, uh, Elizabeth overhears this and kind of tells the story as a joke. But it's also obviously, um, uh, it has formed her impression of his, his of who he is. Um, as uh, um, it, her mother says, he is a most disagreeable, horrid man, and not at all worth pleasing. Uh, so that's where we are with uh, uh, our main characters. Uh, Jane is a big hit with Bingley. Bingley dances with her twice. They keep saying that. That's a, that's you know uh, that's a big deal. Uh, he was supposed to dance with everybody, but he made uh, the allowance to dance with her twice. Means he really likes her. She seems to like him. So we've got that one couple, uh, Bingley and Jane, and we begin to learn about the different characters of of uh, the the sisters uh, as. Elizabeth says about her sister Jane, uh, you never see a fault in anybody. Uh, Jane is always taking the positive view of people and of things, uh, whereas um, Elizabeth had more quickness of observation and less uh, pliancy of temper than her sister. So she's a little bit more critical. Um, Now, interestingly, that's uh, something that is reflected in the differences between 
Bingley, and Darcy. Uh, it says, this is uh, uh, the next to the last paragraph of chapter four, uh, that there was a great opposition of character between uh, Bing, uh, Mr. Bingley and Mr. Darcy. Um, he says, in understanding, Darcy was the superior. Bingley was by n- uh, no means deficient, but Darcy was clever. He was at the same time haughty, reserved, and fastidious, and his manners, though well-bred, were not inviting. In that respect, his friend had greatly the advantage. Bingley was sure of being liked wherever he appeared. Darcy was continually giving offense. So, and this is a a kind of a standard way of creating characters, and and, uh, Jane Austen does it masterfully. You create characters through contrast. Jane and Elizabeth are uh, uh, the sisters. One is, uh, you know, thinks the best of people. The other is much more kind of observant and critical. Um, Darcy and Bingley have the same dynamic. Bingley is warm and gregarious and outgoing, and everybody likes him. Darcy is reserved and and proud, uh, and nobody. He's always giving offense to people. Now, in the next chapter, in chapter five, we meet um, Elizabeth's good friend, Charlotte Lucas, who is a kind of a confidant for her. And so a lot of the conversations she can have, we, we allow her to find out what she's thinking about things. She's a very useful uh, uh, kind of character to have. But at the end of chapter five, they go into a discussion about pride. Um, and uh, Charlotte says that... Um, that Mr. Darcy has a right to be proud. Elizabeth says, that is very true, replied Elizabeth, and I could easily forgive his pride if he had not mortified mine. And pride, observed Mary, Mary's the middle sister, she's the, the, the bookworm who's always reading, uh, says pride is a very common failing, I believe. By all that I have ever read, I am convinced that it is very common indeed that human nature is particularly prone to it, and that there are very few of us who could not cherish a a feeling of self-complacency on the score of some quality or other, real or imaginary. Vanity and pride are different things, though the words are often used synonymously. A person may be proud without being vain. Pride relates more to our opinion of ourselves, vanity to what we would have others think of us. Uh, This is a very, I think, a very important, in a novel that's called Pride and Prejudice, you should pay attention when the characters are talking about pride. Um, And he says, pride is our opinion of ourselves. So if Darcy is proud, uh, that is, he has a very high opinion of himself. And Mrs. Lucas, Charlotte Lucas points out, Miss Lucas points out that, well, you know, he has some right to that. He's a, he's a, a, a wealthy man of position, he's accomplished, uh, he has some reason to be proud. And Elizabeth says, well, yes, he does, but that doesn't give him the right to make other people feel awful. And it turns out that um, Jane is a big hit with the uh, with Bingley and his family, but she's very reserved. And Charlotte tells her, tells talking to Elizabeth uh, about the, the relationship there in, in chapter six, says, it is something uh, sometimes a dis- disadvantage to be so very guarded. Uh, there are very few of us who have heart enough to be really in love without encouragement. Um, 
and you know Elizabeth is like, well, I can see that she's in love with uh, with Bingley. Why can't he see it? He says, well, you know her really well. Mr. Uh, Bingley doesn't, and he doesn't spend a lot of time with her. Uh, she may want to be you know less reserved in in expressing her feelings about him. Um, uh, Charlotte also says something very interesting in chapter six. Says that happiness in marriage is entirely a matter of chance. So it's just, it's just you know it's just a roll of the dice whether you're going to be happy. And says it's better to know as little as possible of the defects of the person with whom you are to pass your life. So it's better to not to know the person you know because it's just a crapshoot anyway. Uh, and the less you know about them, the, the you know the less worried you're going to be about it. You just have to kind of go for it. Um, now, Elizabeth has a much more romantic view of marriage, as we'll see. Also, we find out, very importantly, the narrator tells us in chapter 6, that Elizabeth was far from suspecting that she was herself becoming an object of some interest in the eyes of his friend, Mr. Darcy. So we find out that Darcy, although he initially was not impressed with uh, with Elizabeth. Again, first impressions turned out to be wrong. He's finding himself becoming infatuated with her and kind of not wanting to be. She's, he, Darcy is very high, very upper class, uh, and Elizabeth is not. She is uh, kind of as, as, as much, much lower on the, the class scale and the economic scale than he is. And she's this, you know, this girl who lives out in the country. She's not a sophisticated Londoner. Um, He's uh, he's almost kind of ashamed of being infatuated with her, and we get this moment at the end of chapter six where uh, Elizabeth is invited to dance with Mister Darcy. Uh, you know, they, they say to her, say to her, "My dear Miss uh, Miss Eliza, why why are you not dancing, Mister Darcy? You must allow me to present this young lady to you as a very desirable partner." You cannot refuse to dance, I am sure, when so much beauty is before you. And taking her hand, he would have given it to Mr. Darcy, who, though extremely surprised, was not unwilling to receive it, when she instantly drew back and said with some discom- uh, discomposure to Sir William, Indeed, sir, I have not the least intention of dancing. I entreat you not to suppose that I, I moved this way in order to beg for a pittan- for a partner. So now, who now Elizabeth is refusing to dance with Darcy. The tables have been turned, um, and we get this moment. And uh, this is the the kind of the setup that happens here. That uh, in a way, Darcy becomes more infatuated with her because she's not throwing herself at him. Now again. Jane Austen brilliantly kind of creates this through contrast because there's another character in the book who is throwing herself at Darcy. That is Miss Bingley, uh, uh, Mr. Bingley's younger sister. Uh, and she's always kind of throwing herself and, you know, well, I'll dance with you, you know, all of that kind of uh, of thing. And she actually finds out, or uh, uh, Mr. Mr. Darcy mentions to her that uh, I have been meditating on the very great pleasure which a pair of fine eyes in the face of a pretty woman can bestow. And he's talking about uh, Elizabeth, and he tells her that. Well, Miss Bingley kind of goes goes at him, you know, says, uh, you will have a charming mother-in-law. Uh, of course, he knows that uh, uh, Mrs. Bennet is uh, kind of embarrassing socially. Uh, certainly to Mr. Darcy, she is. Um 
So now we've got this situation set up where Miss Bingley is trying to run down Elizabeth and catch Darcy for herself. And Elizabeth is actually completely unaware that Darcy is interested in her, but she is certainly not going to have anything to do with him because he so publicly rejected her. Now, in Chapter 7, we find out some very key plot information, and that is that the, the property of Mr. Bennett is entailed in default of heirs male. Now, an entailment in a uh, an inheritance meant that the property had to go to a a male heir, and since Mr. Bennett only has daughters, uh, when he, when Mr. Bennett dies, it's going to go to the nearest male heir, which we we find out later will be Mr. Collins. We'll meet him later, um, and this is important because it vastly increases the stakes for these girls. Uh, when their father dies, they're going to be left essentially bankrupt. So if they don't marry someone who can support them, and remember, he's got five daughters. He doesn't just have one daughter to marry off. He has five daughters uh, to marry off. Uh, it, but if they don't marry well, they will be in very, very bad situation. Now, uh, Jane Austen doesn't go through and say that explicitly because she expected her original audience to understand the implications of that. Uh, notice another thing that we learn here is that the two youngest of the Bennett daughters, Catherine and Lydia, are infatuated with the soldiers who are stationed in the nearby town. They're they're all they're kind of uh, uh, and uh, Mr. Bennett kind of runs them down for that, uh, uh, but they're they're all uh, uh, fascinated by them. Now, also in chapter seven, uh, Jane gets an invitation to go visit Mr. Bingley at uh, Netherfield, uh, and. She wants to take the carriage, but her mother says, "No, no, uh, ride ride the horse. Don't don't take the carriage. Ride ride just one horse." And why is that? Well, it's going to rain, and if it rains, you won't be able to come back, and you'll get to spend the whole night there. Um, so she, Mrs. Bennett, is uh, scheming uh, to try to get uh, Jane as much time with uh, Mr. Bingley as it possibly could be. Well. Her plan works all too well. Uh, uh, Jane does take the horse, but it does start raining. And in fact, she gets sick and is so sick she has to stay there. And then her sister is going to walk the three miles to get her. Now, this is something that would be very unusual for a well-bred young lady to do. I mean, you wouldn't just walk through the country, uh, as they say, through the dirt um, for three miles. Uh, But Elizabeth doesn't care about all of those social niceties. She knows she has to be with uh, with her sister to help out her sister, and she just goes through and does it. Though, it, as it says, her appearance created a great deal of surprise. Um, and, and so, but she goes there, and this sets up an opportunity uh, for our main characters to all be kind of forced together for a while in the story, and it also gives. Uh, Miss Bingley, a chance to keep running down, uh, insulting uh, Elizabeth. Uh, it says Miss Bingley began ab- uh, abusing her, Elizabeth, as soon as she was out of the room. Her manners were uh, pronounced to be very bad indeed, a mixture of pride and impertinence. She had no conversation, no style, no taste, no beauty. Uh, now, it's interesting if you think about it, that criticizing her manners is exactly what the whole 
society had said about Mr. Darcy, that he had bad manners. And here she is accusing uh, Elizabeth of having a ba- you know bad manners. Um, and again, we see that Bingley uh, is, it always looks on the bright side. He says it shows uh, an affection for her sister that is very pleasing. That you know she would she would come and uh, walk all this way. Um, he says, "I am afraid, Mister Darcy," observed Miss Bingley in a half whisper, uh, "that this uh, th- this adventure has rather affected your admiration of her fine eyes." Not at all," he replied. They were heightened by the exercise. A short pause followed this speech, and uh, Mrs. Hurst, that's uh, uh, Bingley's eldest sister, began again. Uh, I have an excessive regard for Jane Bennett. She is really a very sweet girl, and I wish with all my heart she were well settled, but with such a father and mother and such a low connections, I am afraid there is no chance of it. Um, so... They like Jane, but they don't like anyone else in her family. And Miss Bingley, the younger sister, certainly doesn't like Elizabeth because she thinks that, correctly, that Darcy likes her. Um, And Jane Austen starts dropping in little hints about how compatible uh, Elizabeth and Darcy might actually be. It turns out that uh, when in the evening, instead of playing cards, Elizabeth wants to read. And uh, Mr. Hurst, um, uh, the the brother-in-law, says, Do you prefer reading to cards, he said? That is rather singular. He says, Oh, my God, a woman who is reading instead of just playing cards or something? Um, And she actually does. And then just a little bit later, Miss Bingley uh, chimes up, says, What a delightful library you have at Pemberley, Mr. Darcy. Uh, He says, "Uh, It ought to be good, he replied. It has been the work of many generations. Uh, so we find out that uh, Elizabeth prefers reading to playing cards, and Darcy has a famously great library. Um, again, a lot of these kind of little details are showing that these two may be more compatible for each other than either of them realize at the po- at this point. Now, in Chapter 9, uh, Mrs. Bennet comes by to see how Jane is doing, and it says that... Um, uh, had she found Jane in any apparent danger, Mrs. Bennet would have been very miserable. But being satisfied on seeing that her illness was not alarming, she had no wish of her recovering immediately. So, so if she'd been really ill, she would have been upset. But she says, oh, she's not that good. Uh, but I don't want her to, to recover. I want her to stay here. And she says, she is a great deal too ill to be moved. Uh, so, oh, you've got to keep her here as, you know, as long as possible. Um... And we also get, since uh, Mrs. Bennett is in the house, she, as she usually tends to do in social situations, she embarrasses everyone. And interestingly, in, in the middle of Chapter 9, Elizabeth comes to Darcy's defense. Uh, Mrs. Bennett was uh, insulted that she felt that uh, uh, Mr. Darcy had insulted the country in, in uh, opposition to the city of London. And Elizabeth chimes up for her. And says, indeed, Mama, you were mista- you were mistaken," said Elizabeth, blushing for her mother. "You quite mistook, Mister Darcy. He only meant that there were not such a variety of people to be met with in the country as in the town, which you must acknowledge to be true." Um, 
So now we've got uh, uh, this is this is a, a, a key. It's a little moment, but it's an important one. But Darcy is defended by Elizabeth. She understands what he meant and and comes to his defense. That's something new. Uh, now in chapter ten, we see a further development between Elizabeth and Darcy, and that is that they're kind of of sparring with each other. They're arguing with each other, and that actually seems to make Darcy, make Elizabeth more attractive to Darcy. Uh, she argues with him. She puts him in his place. Uh, she, you know, says that, uh, um, uh, you know, won't let him insult Bingley and, you know, kind of turns it around to make it a compliment to Bingley. All of these kinds of things. Uh, we see that, again, that they're really, in a lot of ways, they're a match for each other. And there's another key little moment here um, is in chapter... 10, this is on my page, 37, Mr. Darcy smiled, but Elizabeth thought she could perceive that he was rather offended and therefore checked her laugh. So she's not, she doesn't want to offend him. She understands him better than, you know, she had before. And, but we also get, this is in the middle of that page, 37, she noticed how frequently Mr. Darcy's eyes were fixed on her. She hardly knew how to suppose that she could be an object of admiration to so great a man, and yet that he should look at her because he disliked her was still more strange. She could only imagine, however, at last, that she drew his notice because there was something about her more wrong and reprehensible, according to his ideas of right, than in any other person present. The supposition did not pain her. She liked him too little to care for his approbation." So she can't, doesn't understand why he keeps, he notices he keeps staring at her. He says, well, I know he doesn't like, he certainly couldn't like me, uh, but it'd be weird if he's, hey, oh, he must, it's something critical. He sees that I'm doing something wrong or, and, and, and uh, so that just kind of reinforce, reinforces her ideas about him. Of course, because the narrator has told us, we know that Darcy's staring at her because he's falling in love with her. Um and they start uh, later on the the i the issue of dancing comes up again they start to play this lively uh, scotch air and darcy comes to her and says do you not feel a great inclination miss bennett to seize such an opportunity of dancing a reel she smiled but made no answer he repeated the question with some surprise at her silence oh she said i heard you before but i could not immediately determine what to say in reply you wanted me, I know, to say, yes, that you might have the pleasure of despising my taste. But I always delight in overthrowing those kinds of schemes and cheating a person of their premeditated contempt. I have, therefore, made up my mind to tell you that I do not want to dance a reel at all, and now despise me if you dare. Indeed, I do not dare. Elizabeth, having rather expected to affront him, was amazed at his gallantry but there was a mixture of sweetness and archness in her manner which made it difficult for her to affront anybody. And Darcy had never been so bewitched by any woman as he was by her. He really believed that were it not for the inferiority of her connections, he should be in some danger. 
so here's this moment again. She's turning him down. He come. He basically comes up to. Oh, th- th- this this kind of lively Scottish music. Would wouldn't you like to dance a, a reel? And says, Oh, first of all, she just doesn't say anything to him, which is exactly the way that Darcy acted at the ball. Right? He wouldn't talk to anyone. And he repeats the question. She says, oh, well, you pr- I know you're just asking me to, because you think that it, it's silly that I would like uh, dancing that kind of dance. And no, I actually don't want to. Um, but he's actually very polite about it. And it makes him even more infatuated with her. Now, the, the next night that they're there, Darcy is writing a letter and Miss Bingley is standing over his shoulder talking about, oh, you write so, you have such beautiful handwriting. Oh, such a long letter. I mean, she's just, you know, pestering the hell out of him, and he is not taking it well at all. Uh, But again, she's a wonderful contrast with Elizabeth, who is not catering to Darcy at all. Um, But they get into a conversation about uh, Mr. Darcy's faults. and he says, this is very near the end of, of, of chapter 11. And he says, uh, I, have, uh, I have no such pretension. I have faults enough, but they are not, I hope, of understanding. My temper, I dare uh, not vouch for. It is, I believe, too little yielding. Certainly too little for the convenience of the world. I cannot forget the follies and vices of others so soon as I ought nor their offenses against myself. My feelings are not puffed about with every attempt to move them. My temper would perhaps be called resentful. My good opinion, once lost, is lost forever. That is a failing indeed, cried Elizabeth. Implacable resentment is a shade of, is a shade in a character. But you have chosen your fault well. I really, uh, I really cannot laugh at it. You are safe from me. Uh, There is, I believe, in every disposition a tendency to some particular evil and natural defect which not even the best education can overcome. And your defect is a propensity to hate everybody. And yours, he replied with a smile, is willfully to misunderstand them. Um, Do let us have a little music, cried Miss Bingley, tired of a conversation in which she had no share. Uh, Now here we're getting at the, the... Again, into the the characters here. Uh, Mr. Uh, Darcy is aware of these character faults and he's kind of drawn them out. And uh, Miss uh, uh, Elizabeth says that your character faults, you seem to hate everybody. And uh, he tells her, and your fault seems to be that you're willfully misunderstanding people. Uh, And both of those are very shrewd comments. Those are very true of both of these characters. Uh, Mr. Darcy is inclined to dislike people without good reason. And Elizabeth has a way of willfully misunderstanding the situation. Same way she didn't understand why Darcy was staring at her all the time. Uh, So again, these are characters who do understand each other in a a very real way. And they're they're kind of fighting and, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, know, going at each other now. But even in doing that, we see that there there is some understanding between them. Now, finally, in chapter 12, Jane does return home, though Mrs. Mrs. Bennett is trying desperately to keep her there a little bit longer. But um, uh, 
Elizabeth says, well, mother won't send the, the carriage from home. Why don't you borrow the one from uh, Mr. Bingley? You know, he'll, he'll lend you his carriage and uh, you can take that home. Uh, and they do, and, and much to Mrs. Bennett's uh, chagrin. Um, but as they're leaving, uh, it says, Mr. Darcy, uh, he's very glad to hear that they're leaving. He says, Elizabeth had been at Netherfield long enough. She attracted him more than he liked. And Miss Bingley was uncivil to her, and more teasing than usual to himself. He wisely resolved to be particularly careful that no sign of admiration should now escape him, nothing that could elevate her with the hope of influencing his felicity. Sensible that if uh, such an idea had been suggested, his behavior during the last day must have material weight in confirming or crushing it. Steady to his purpose... He scarcely spoke ten words to her through the whole of the Saturday, and though they were at one time left by themselves for half an hour, he adhered most conscientiously to his book and would not even look at her. So he said, I, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to let her know that she's not anything to me. I'm not going to talk to her at all. Um, and again, it doesn't tell us how uh, Elizabeth received this, but again, she doesn't like Darcy. She thinks he's a, a, a proud, pompous ass. Uh, so this is just reconfirming for her uh, what she's already thought of him. Now, in chapter 13, we're introduced to Mr. Collins. He is the, the, the distant cousin who is going to be the heir of Mr. Bennett because of the entailment of the estate. Um, and again, notice at the beginning of chapter 13, uh, Mr. Bennett springs the uh, 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 announcement that he's coming to dinner on his family. He loves kind of surprising them and l- them not knowing what he's going to do or what he's thinking. Um, but he's uh, Mr. Bennett uh, is, is going to receive Mr. Collins, who is a, uh, a, a, a minister. Uh, he's a clergyman. Uh, and he says in his letter he's received ordination, uh, and I've been so fortunate as to be distinguished by the patronage of the Right Honorable Lady Catherine de Burr, a widow of Sir Louis de Burr, uh, whose bounty and beneficence has proffered me to the valuable rectory of this parish. So she's made him the kind of the, the county uh, uh, priest, uh, uh, pastor there. Uh, so he has, a, and she's a very uh, rich and important woman, and he's he's very proud of being, uh, working for her. Now, notice what um, Elizabeth says about this letter. She says, he must be an oddity, I think, she said. I cannot make him out. There's something very pompous in his style. And what can he mean by apologizing for being, for being the next in the entail? We cannot suppose that he would help it if he could. Can he be a sensible man, sir? No, my dear, I think not. I have, this is her father replying, I have great hopes of finding him quite the reverse. There is a mixture of servility and self-importance in this letter which promises well. I am impatient to see him. Now, again, this tells us a lot about Mr. Bennett. He thinks, again, this guy is both servile and self-important, that he is not a a sensible man, and he wants to see that because Mr. Bennett loves kind of just sitting back and laughing. Now, 
um, and, and kind of looking down his nose at, at somebody like that. Uh, and Mr. Collins fulfills all of his wildest expectations. He, he is very pompous. He, he goes through, you know, complimenting everything about the house, but there's always the feeling that he's complimenting it because he's the one who's going to get to own it. Um, so now we'll find out a lot more about Mr. Collins uh, in, in the next section of the book. And in fact, for next time, uh, I'd like you to read through the first volume of the book, uh, through chapter 23. Uh, the book is divided into three volumes, though some editions don't do that. They just give chapter numbers. Uh, but read through chapter 23, uh, the end of volume one. And a couple of things to look at and think about for that. One is Mr. Collins. We're going to see his character developed, what kind of a person he is, or what he's doing there. Um uh, particularly how he and Elizabeth get on together. That's a very significant factor in the next uh, section of the book. Uh, also, there's a new character that will be introduced, uh, Wickham. Uh, and he will give us some very interesting information about Darcy. So I want you to think about how Elizabeth relates to Wickham and how what Wickham tells her uh, about his past relations with Darcy affects her her feelings for Darcy. Um, these two these two characters, Collins and Wickham, are very important in this next section of the book. As is the conversation. There'll be another ball here, and the, the balls are always very important social occasions in this book. And notice how uh, Darcy and Elizabeth interact at this ball. How it's different from the, the first ball where he just, you know, didn't pay her any attention at all, uh, and how how much or how little their attitudes towards each other have changed. So we will talk about that next time. Uh, I thank you for your attention, and we'll talk more about Pride and Prejudice soon. <laughs>